0: Welcome to Insight, a podcast devoted to subjects that are theological, historical, literary, even cinematic, but especially biblical. I'm your host and presenter, Gary Nation. Here in episode nine, we examine the, for lack of a better word, appendix to the book of Jeremiah, God's message to the nations. The book of Jeremiah is devoted to the nation of Judah, but in these last chapters we are reminded that he remains the God and sovereign over all the world, even those who do not believe in him.
1: The passage that we're going to be looking at today, it's, it's kind of like the addendum to the book of Jeremiah. And the focus of this addendum is the messages that he preached. The actually the songs that he wrote mostly. it's been a while since we've heard some of some more music from Jeremiah. You know, we've most have been what we've been hearing have been the things that he's been writing, the, the, the sermons he's been writing, the things that have been transcribed for him, particularly by Baruch. But these are the songs that he wrote at different times and in different situations concerning just about everybody else but Judah. Almost everything that we've seen up until this point has been about Judah. There's been a thing in here about Egypt from time to time, or a thing about Philistia, you know, a thing about Moab but once in a while. But there's just a word here and there. But most of what we've been reading up to this point has been addressed, particularly to the kingdom of Judah and directed toward its sins, and the judgment that was coming upon Judah. And the focus has been that Babylon is the instrument in the hand of God that is going to bring the judgment upon Judah. And that the only way that Judah will be able to survive this is to surrender to Babylon. By surrendering to Babylon, they are actually surrendering to God. They're giving up their right to defend themselves. Because God has taken away their defense. So, Jeremiah has been considered to be a traitor by the Jews because he is advocating surrender to the enemy. And sometimes, surrender to the enemy when it looked like the enemy wasn't actually going to be able to fulfill an attack. And Jeremiah says, listen, you guys, this is, this is a phony peace, this is a phony rest, this is a phony break... Don't believe what you see. Believe what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is the word of God. And if you look very carefully, you can see it too. But they kept deceiving themselves. They kept telling themselves, God will save us because we have the temple. Of course, we fill the temple with idols, but we have the temple. Of course, what happened to the temple was it was completely destroyed, raised to the ground by the Babylonians, burnt. Everything that could burn was burnt, and everything that couldn't be burned was stolen, (laughs) taken away, hijacked. So, all of this has been up to this point. This is an addendum to the book of Jeremiah. These are the things that didn't fit anywhere else in the message that were preached, but all of these messages were brought. All of these songs were composed, and they... They are songs. Most, almost all of it is song, and most of these songs are composed. It kind of reminds me. How many of you all were child of, children of the '60s? You remember? Uh, you, you remember Bob Dylan? You know, getting it, you know, singing his protest songs. You know, and you know Judy Collins. You know, and you know you, you, you remember you going going back. You know Woodstock, and they sang. You know, uh, you know that. That guy with the great announcer's voice, ladies and gentlemen, Country Joe
0: and the Fish,
1: you know, and you know, and they they come out and they'd sing these protest songs and all of this. It, it, that's kind of the vibe that I get from this. You know, you've got somebody, you know, you've got. It's kind of like Jeremiah's in a nightclub, singing these, you know strumming his guitar and and singing these songs and, and they're all very evocative you know and the question is who's listening to this who's buying these albums probably not not many it probably didn't sell a whole lot of this except during the time you know i mean some of these probably actually some of these probably might have gotten some sales because all of the all of these are targeted against the enemies of Judah now amos when amos prophesied in the northern kingdom of israel he always he introduced his first sermon he introduced it was just slam after slam after slam against first against One enemy of Israel. And then against another enemy of Israel. And and, and, and his his refrain was that that God was saying, For three transgressions, no, for four, I am going to bring judgment on this kingdom. For three transgressions, no, for four, I'm going to name the transgression, then talk about the judgment that God was going to bring. And then he even got to Judah. He's preaching to the Israelites, He's in the northern kingdom of Israel. Got to Judah and said, For three transgressions, I will bring judgment on the kingdom of Judah. And you know, everybody went, Oh, yeah, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord, amen. Yeah, go, preacher, go. And then he says, For three transgressions, yea, for four, I will bring judgment upon Israel. And then they all got quiet. And then he started naming all four of those saints. It was going to bring judgment for. And then all of a sudden everybody said, okay, preacher, you quit preaching and gone to meddling. You know, one of those things. But sometimes, you know, what Amos did was he drew his crowd in and they got all excited about listening to him preach. But then he started preaching and turning that light on them. I think that may be some of what was going on here, that Jeremiah is using these taunt songs and laments and all against the enemies of Israel, partly in order to bring Israel's attention. But I think there's a larger reason here. Remember, God had called Jeremiah in the very first chapter to be the prophet to Judah and to all the nations. Well, there when all the sermons are, you know, and all the books and all the songs are about Judah, you know, we kind of forget about the fact that Jeremiah was actually the prophet to the nations. And the word of God is going to get sent out one way or the other. And God's word is not going to fail. And the fact that nobody's listening to the word doesn't mean that it's not going to take place. See, that's one of the fallacies of our present day. We think that if you can't get an audience... I mean, we're, we are such a media people. We think that if if you can't get an audience, then what you say doesn't have, doesn't matter. It's very much the opposite is true. So let's look and let's see what Jeremiah has to say to the, to the to the nations. First chapter forty six, a lot of verses. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the nations, verse two about Egypt. A lot of verses proceed from there about Egypt. And he starts off with a song that he composed concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho king of Egypt which was by the river Euphrates at Carchemish and which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon defeated in the 4th year of Jehoiakim son of Josiah king of Judah. Now the idea the interest the thing about these songs that you need to remember is these songs were composed before the event that is named. Now Pharaoh Necho came up from Egypt and Nebuchadnezzar had, uh, was now the king. Nebuchadnezzar III was now the king of Babylon. Babylon had experienced a resurgence. Babylon had been one of those kingdoms that's just way off there in the east. And the Assyrians were the big dogs on the planet at this, you know, for a while, and then uh, they started to recede. And then some others started coming up over in the east. Babylon is experiencing an economic and military resurgence and starting to move out. What the nations of the world don't realize is that God has raised up Babylon and He's raised it up for a very particular purpose. The Babylonians don't even. very very difficult thing for the nations of the world to understand that God is God and they're not. And God has raised up Babylon for a very particular reason. That is to be his instrument of judgment for a while. Egypt has been experiencing its own little bit of a resurgence. And under Pharaoh Necho Neko thinks well Babylon may be a big dog in the east but we are going to control this over here in the western part of the Mediterranean and so we are going to we are going to exert our control Babylon is we're not going to let I am the new Ramses II I am the new guy who is going to make sure that this area stays under the sphere of Egyptian influence And so he goes, he travels north to meet Nebuchadnezzar in battle somewhere. Where they actually happen to meet is Carchemish. On the way, King Josiah of Judah comes out to resist Pharaoh Necho. Resists him in battle and loses his life in that battle and thereby loses the battle. All of this, again, is part of God's plan. I'm, you know, I've always wondered, why did Josiah meddle? And the more I look at it, you know, the scripture is not clear why Josiah felt that it was necessary to do that. But, I think more than anything else, Josiah was, was saying, listen... God is raising up Babylon for his own purposes. And in so far as God has given it to me, I am going to defend the territory that God has given me to defend. I'm not going to be passive and let the bullies of the neighborhood just run roughshod through God's land. He was being a steward of what God had given him to do. But all of this is in the background of what's happening. Neko is on the way up to meet his doom. Battle of Carchemish is one of the decisive, strategic battles of history. It, it, was, it was like Waterloo in the 19th century. It was like Gettysburg. It was like the invasion of Normandy. It was a decisive, decisive battle that affected the whole course of history. Because from this battle, from from the end of this time forward, Babylon was unquestioned the world power. Necho thinks he's going to stop them. So Jeremiah... Into this, and look at the rapid-fire nature of the verses. Is, is your is your uh, translation lined out in the poetic verse? <laughs> if it is, you can really see it readily. If it if you're if it's just written in paragraph form, it may not be as easy to spot. But look how short the lines are. Look how choppy it is. And all of this is that rapid fire, and and it gives that impression. And and uh, Jeremiah is probably playing on his guitar, you know, in a very, you know choppy, rough, staccato fashion also, you know, just to bring out the, the, the energy of what's going on here. Prepare beckler and shield. Advance for battle. A harness the horses. A mount, O mount horsemen. Take your stations with your helmets. Polish your spears. Put on your armor. Why have I seen it? They're dismayed and turned backwards. The warriors are beaten <coughs> down and are fled in haste. Now notice what's going on there. You've got the preparations for battle. And then all of a sudden you've got the retreat from battle. What's missing there? The battle.
0: <laughs>
1: it's kind of like a camera. It's kind of like a, a, a camera that, that's been set up in a locker room of a team that's all excited to go out and ready. And okay, we're going to go get them. We're going to fight. We're going to win. And then they run out. And then the next thing you see immediately is... Because it's a motion sensitive camera, is they're coming back in, they're defeated, they're dispirited, and everything else, they've just been totally wiped out. I mean, you don't even see the game in the middle. It's like the battle is inconsequential, it's all rigged. The point is, God determined the winner of this before this battle even started. Because look at the end of verse 5. They look not back terror on every side. What? Declares the Lord. Understand this this song was was written before the battle. This song was written before the battle. This wasn't a description of the battle. This was a song that was written before the battle. This is a prophecy. The swift can't flee away. The warrior can't escape. In the north by the river Euphrates, they've stumbled and fallen. Who is this rising like like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge? Egypt rises like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge. He says, I will rise, I will cover the earth. I will destroy cities and their inhabitants. Ah, Look down verse 10. That day is the day the Lord God of hosts, the day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. For the Lord God of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. And Egypt, you are the sacrificial lamb. Mm. One of the things we're going to see in these songs is that there's something that is taken about each one of these nations. That is their boast. And Egypt is ancient, of course. That the Egyptian civilization is ancient and everything. It's all about the Nile. And the power, you know, Egypt just derives its power from the Nile. Ancient Egypt just the power of the Nile. And Egypt rises and this, and it's like, you know, the Nile River in flood, and when the Nile is in flood, you know, you just can't stop it. And that's the way the Egyptian army went forth. We're going forth like the Nile River in flood. You won't be able to stop us. Bye bye. Go up to Gilead. Take balm, O virgin daughter of Egypt. In vain you've used many medicines. There's no healing for you. (coughs) In Gilead, this is the area which now is in present day Jordan. Gilead, also known as Gad. There was a tree or a plant that produced a balm a salve an ointment that was made and a lot of and it's not specifically known what that was but it was world famous probably had antiseptic properties and it was world famous as a healing balm you apply this medicine and it's just kind of you know i mean, just universal said so go ahead go buy out go buy out gilead go buy all the balm you can there's no healing for your wound and he goes into another song the word the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon to strike the land of Egypt now that, that first song that was back in the early days that was back in the days of Josiah Josiah was killed in battle with Necho now we've got this song that's taken from the days when Jeremiah's been taken kicking and screaming by his fellow Judeans into Egypt after he said God has said don't go to Egypt they said okay we'll do whatever God says and they grabbed Jeremiah and they all went to Egypt
0: now
1: in
0: chapter,
1: in verse 13, says, yeah and he says declare in Egypt and he, and he talked about and he prophesied, and we already saw that, he prophesied that the Babylonians are going to invade Egypt. And he was telling, his point in that part was to let the Jews know, you think you've escaped the Babylonians, you think you've escaped Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians by coming to Egypt. You haven't escaped anything. Nebuchadnezzar's coming here. And he's just going to poncho via the place. You know, it, you're not getting away from anything. Verse 15, why are your mighty ones face down? They do not stand because the Lord thrust them down. Verse 17, call the name of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Noisy one who lets the hour go by. What that is, is a pun. (coughs) The Hebrew word that is translated... Noisy one lets the hour go by, the one who lets the hour go by, who lets the time pass, who misses his opportunity. That's a pun, that's a Hebrew word that sounds like the name of Pharaoh uh, Hophra. He might be describing certain leaders in our nation
0: today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. As I live, declares the King, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Now, one of the things about this passage, one of the things we're seeing here, these things are echoed in the book of Revelation. And you you have this emphasis upon Yahweh is the King. As in the book of Revelation, Jesus is described as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king, the real king. He's the one who's really in charge. He's the one who's really running the show. He's the one who's really directing the events of this world. He is the one who's really guiding the strategies of these kings. And these kings are just operating according to (coughs) the one who's running the chess match. Verse 20, a beautiful heifer is Egypt. A biting fly from the north has come upon her. And gadfly, interesting thing, gadflies injure the cattle, but they don't kill them. And that's a, a, an indication of what's coming in the prophecy for Egypt. Look, look at verse 22. This is, this is so descriptive. Egypt, talking about Egypt, she makes a sound like a serpent gliding away. What is, a, what is a snake that's fleeing? What does it do?
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah, what sound does it make? It hisses. It hisses like a hissing snake as it flees. I mean, it, it, it sounds threatening, but it's, it has no has no bite left (laughs) for her enemies march in force and come against her with axes like those who fell trees they shall cut down her forest declares the Lord though it's impenetrable though because they are more numerous than locusts there without number now don't think of this literally Egypt doesn't have any forests okay don't think of that literally (laughs) it's not like they're coming in and actually cutting down the forest of Egypt Egypt doesn't have any forests No, the idea here, he's following up on this metaphor. Snake is trying to get away from you. You know, you've you've got the snake, you've got it there, and the snake gets away. He slithers away and slithers into the woods. Say, yeah, but the woodcutters are coming after the snake. And they've got their axes, and they're going to cut down every doggone tree in that forest until they find that snake that's the image and says they are more numerous than locusts they are without number that's the description of the army of Babylon the Lord of hosts the God of Israel said behold I'm bringing punishment upon Ammon of Thebes and Pharaoh in Egypt Ammon is the God the sun God of Thebes Pharaoh and Egypt and her gods and her kings upon Pharaoh and those who trust in them. I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their life into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his officers. And afterward, afterward, Egypt shall be inhabited as in days of old. Kind of a surprise. You've got this pronouncement of judgment. And I'm coming in and I will deliver them over there. And and then afterward, Egypt will be inhabited as like in the old days. What? It wasn't God's plan to wipe all of these nations off the face of the earth. It was God's plan to make sure that they understood that he was God and their gods are not. But fear not, O Jacob, my servant because it's all about what God is doing. Everything has to do with bringing God's plan through Jesus Christ and His salvation, which shall be made known to the nations in an appointed time, in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. It's all about making that happen, and therefore... Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Look down at verse 28. I will make a full end of all the nations to which I have driven you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure and will by no means leave you unpunished. So then he goes from the Egyptians, about whom he spent an awful, on whom he spent an, a lot of ink. Not so much on the Philistines. Philistines, age-old enemies. The Philistines were a non-Semitic people. Apparently, they came from the, uh, from the islands of Greek uh, of Crete and thereabouts. It's mentioned here, Kafter. That was that's the Hebrew name for Crete. But the Philistines had uh, were rooted in that. There was a great migration that took place uh, around 1200 B.C. And the Philistines were part of it. King Ramses II uh, went to war against the sea peoples. Interesting thing about the sea peoples, the sea peoples didn't fight well on sea. They fought on land. They just came from the sea. But they came, they fought, They. it's kind of like ancient Vikings in the Mediterranean. is kind of like it was. You know, it's kind of how they were sort of received. And they went everywhere that they wanted to go and did whatever they wanted to do. But Ramses had a unique strategy. He actually met them in a sea battle and stopped them uh, before they could settle for any length of time in northern Egypt. And they ended up settling in the area that is today called the Gaza Strip. And there were five cities that de- were kind of like set up along the lines of uh, Greek, similar to Greek city-states. And they formed a sort of conf- a Philistine confederation. These five cities <coughs> were the cities of the Philistines and formed the, the... The Philistines weren't a single kingdom, but there were several kings and some of them had ascendancy over the others at any given time. Two of the principal cities at this time of the Philistines were Gaza and Ashkelon. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Now, you've got a it's not exactly known what event this is referring to. I'm going to give you a scenario that I think is is, is very probable as I've looked and I've I've, uh, seen the commentaries and I've looked at the history of this and compared this with what's going on. This is one of those messages that comes across that the skeptics at that time and even the skeptics now look at and say, well, see, you always talk about the prophets, the prophets... Always give you a true prophecy, but look at this. This isn't what happened. This is not. This is not what was going on. And the people at this time would they would look and they would see Jeremiah would give a prophecy. For example, uh, when the Babylonians were around surrounding Jerusalem, preparing to attack Jerusalem, and Jeremiah was saying the Babylonians are going to take the city unless we surrender the city to them. If we surrender. They will spare the city. If we don't, they are going to destroy us. And then the Babylonians withdraw to answer the threat. Apparently, the the Egyptians are threatening their flank and Nebuchadnezzar takes his army away from Jerusalem in order to go answer the threat against the And to the people in Jerusalem and to the leaders in Jerusalem, it looks like. See, Jeremiah is a false prophet. The other prophets are right after all. The Babylonians are going to withdraw from us and we're going to be saved just like we always have been. Just like back in the days of Hezekiah we were saved from the Assyrians. The Assyrians withdrew and we never saw them again. The Babylonians withdrawn and we'll never see them again. And it looks like Jeremiah is a false prophet. It looks like the false prophets are the real prophets. Of course, that was only for a moment, for a time. Nebuchadnezzar came back with a vengeance. Vengeance. Well, this is one of those prophecies that it looks like Jeremiah, to his contemporaries, it looks like Jeremiah is wrong. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Now, here's the deal. Historians look back at this, biblical commentators and archaeologists, and they don't know exactly what's being talked about here. When did Pharaoh attack Gaza? But at that time, it was big headlines. The Egyptians are attacking Gaza. And they sent to Jeremiah to find out a message. What is going to become of the Philistines? Is this finally going to be the day in which God takes judgment upon these pagan Philistines that have bedeviled us for centuries? Are we finally going to be rid of the Philistine threat? Jeremiah writes, this is what the Lord says. Behold, the waters are rising out of the north. And it should become an overflowing torrent. Now, wait a minute. Where is Egypt from the Philistines? From the Philistines. The Egyptians would come from the south so yeah Philistines are going to get it but it's not going to be there it's going to come from the north Jeremiah come on really look can you not see what's going on in world events no no Waters arising out of the north shall become an overflowing torrent and shall overflow the land and all that fills it in the city that dwell in it. Men shall cry out, every inhabitant of the land shall wail at the noise at the stamping of the hoofs of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, the rumbling of their wheels. The fathers look not back to their children, so feeble are their hands, because the day because of the day that is coming to destroy. All the Philistines to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper that remains. For the Lord is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Caftar. Ah, sword of the Lord, how long are you till you're quiet? Put yourself in your scabbard, rest and be still. How can it be quiet when the Lord has given it a charge against Ashkelon and against the seashore he has appointed it? The Philistine culture, which was a strong culture, which was a culture that was not like the Semitic cultures of, the, uh, of that era of that area but was more like the Greek cultures that would come in and take the place of the Minoan civilization apparently the Philistines were the remnant of the Minoan culture <clears throat> which we don't really know what happened to that either some catastrophe, some calamity overcame that and they fled to various places and some of them became the Philistines and they were there and they were there for centuries and for a people who were there in the same place in a small relatively small area and dominated the region for centuries and we know almost nothing about them compared to the other civilizations of that era so much so profoundly were they wiped out concerning moab thus says the lord god of israel
0: were they wiped out by the babylonians
1: yes uh, after the babylonians came through the philistines the, the other other nations and cultures kind of sprouted up kind of grew back in philistines never came back concerning moab now, from here, you're going to see he's taking a little bit. He's he's kind of giving us a travelogue. He's t- giving us a little bit of information. The Moabite. One of the things about Moab was that Moab was a wine-producing country. They were they were they were big on their wine produ- production, and so you see some of that reflected. And he names how much was the, how great was the devastation in Moab. Jeremiah names more than 25, 26, some, something like that, cities of Moab. Most of which we have no idea even where they were. Many of them are named in the Moabite stele, the Misha stele. They are named places. So we know that Jeremiah is not making these things up. Including a, a, town, a city with the, the vivid name to us, Mad Men. Mad main, we have no idea where it was.
0: Is it close to what modern-day Jordan spell? Yeah,
1: it's 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 over there in southern Jordan, in the area of southern Jordan, just sort of m- mid-south Jordan, and then far southern Jordan would be the area that we that the Bible knows as Edom. Can't imagine
0: growing grapes in that section. Been to
1: there. <laughs> it, at that time it was it was a fertile air of course you know climates change <laughs> yeah. and, and so forth but at that time there was it was wow. much more fertile area but this was wine country <clears throat> and hence you've got you've got some poignant things about this uh, verse three a voice a cry from horonai desolation and great destruction moab is destroyed her little ones have made a cry Who thinks about the children in all of these great wars? But the prophet sees the children crying and hears their voices. Flee, save yourselves. You'll be like a juniper in the desert. Just a desert scrub plant. You're not not going to be a vineyard anymore. You're just going to be like scrub plants that grow up in the desert. You because, verse 7, you trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken in Chemosh. Chemosh was the god of Moab. All of these gods, basically they all had gods that worked, there was the same, there was a common mythology, but every, every uh, region had its own god that fit into that mythology. So it's, it's the same mythology of birth, death, and rebirth along with the seasons. It's a nature, uh, kind of a Wiccan mythology that goes on. I mean, that... that The Wiccans have taken that earth mythology and brought it in to this day uh, into our era. But you've got that same kind of of mythology and it goes on. But every area had its own named God that it would go by. And and it's kind of like, okay, yeah, that's the way things work, but our God is the one that, that really runs things. But he's called by one... Name over here by another name over there. In Moab, it was Chemosh. You trusted in Chemosh. Chemosh shall go into exile with his priests and officials. Look at verse 8. Uh, verse eight. The destroyer shall come upon every city. And no city shall escape. The valley shall perish and the plain shall be destroyed as the Lord had spoken. Who is the destroyer? Well, in material terms, the destroyer is Babylon but it seems to me that there is a spiritual force that is being referenced here that is even behind the power that is actually being felt upon the earth just hang with me on that i think we're going to see it show up again her cities become a desolation with no inhabitant in them he stops, <clears throat> stops the song in verse 10, gives us a little interlude, and curses the one who turns back his sword from bloodshed. How determined is God to carry this out? There's a curse on the one who doesn't follow through. And then he goes on, launches into another song. Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his dregs. He's not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile, so his taste remains in him. His scent has not changed. See, wine becomes richer as it settles on, as it rests on its sediment, and, you know, just, and ages, you know, that's the whole thing, this aging of, of wine. And, and so that Moab, you know, you, you feel like, oh, we're like a fine wine, and you you 're so proud of yourself because you you 've not been like the other you know the Assyrians came through and they deported everybody in sight, but you you know you didn 't leave you, you 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 got through all of that and you you 're just still you 're still in moab and you 're untouched you 're unharmed nobody's nobody 's done anything with, about you, therefore behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, I shall send to him pourers who will pour him and empty his vessel and break his jars in pieces. And then Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh, as The house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. How do you say we are heroes and mighty men of war? The destroyer of Moab and his cities has come up. And the choices of his young men have gone down to slaughter, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of Hosts verse 26, make him drunk because he magnified himself against the Lord so that Moab shall wallow in his vomit and he too shall be held in derision. A guy who was Mr. Wine Country is going to end up like an old drunk in the street. Wallowing in his vomit. Was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves that whenever you spoke of him, you wagged your head? You mocked Israel when when destruction came upon Israel. Verse 29, we've heard the pride of Moab. He's very proud. His loftiness, his pride, his arrogance, the haughtiness of his heart. I know his insolence, declares the Lord. His boasts are false. His deeds are false. Verse 32, the end of the verse. On your summer fruits and your grapes, the destroyer has fallen. This keeps coming back. The destroyer. Gladness and joy have been taken away from the fruitful land of Moab. I've made the wine cease from the winepress. No one treads them with shouts of joy. No one is shouting the shout of joy. Verse 35, and I will bring to an end in Moab, declares the Lord, him who offers sacrifice in the high place and makes offerings to his God. Chemosh was one of those Baals who demanded human sacrifice. And in times of emergency, people would bring out their children and sacrifice them to Chemosh. Therefore my heart moans for Moab like a flute, and my heart moans like a flute for the men of Kirharaseth. Therefore the, therefore the riches they, had, they gained have perished. Verse 38, for I have broken Moab like a vessel for which no one cares. How's that for comparison? Verse 42, Moab shall be destroyed and no longer be a people because he magnified himself against the Lord. Terror, pit, and snare are before you, O inhabitants of Moab, declares the Lord. And yet this surprising word, look down at verse 47, yet... I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter, de- in the latter days, declares the Lord. Hmm. The ju- concerning the Ammonites. The Ammonites were is- enemies of Israel from the time when, Joshua, when Moses and Joshua were leading the Israelites up, the Ammonites. They had to fight the Ammonites. In the days of the Judges, the Ammonites raided into Israelite territory. David had to send Joab to fight and finally defeat the Ammonites. They conquered the Ammonites, but in the days after the divided kingdom, the Ammonites experienced a resurgence. The days of the weakness of the kings of Israel and Judah, the Ammonites became completely independent again and were always enemies and adversaries of Israel and Judah. Concerning, and the Ammonites had their own pagan gods. So concerning the Ammonites, thus says the Lord, Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in its cities? After the Assyrians dispersed The Israelites, the Ammonites, came in and started taking control of Israelite territory. God basically said, who said you could do that? Who gave you permission to come in and take over my territory? Therefore, behold, and Milcom, that's the name of the Ammonite God, also called Molech. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Ramah of the Ammonites. And then Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says the Lord. Verse 3, for Milcom shall go into exile with his priests and officials. Why do you boast of your valleys, O faithful daughters, who trusted in her treasure, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I will bring terror upon you, declares the Lord God of hosts, from all who are around you, and you will be driven out, every man straight before him, with none to gather the fugitives. You think you have enough wealth to buy off your enemies. You don't. You trust in. Everything that you trust in. One of the thing, one of the things, messages that comes out in all of these messages is that everything you trust in is going to let you down. Because nothing that you trust in is God. In Edom, kind of the short story on this, what Edom's pride was in their wisdom. They were proud of their wisdom. They're the smart people in Edom. They had the these are the people who had the the uh, the study centers and the you know the, the brain tanks, you know, and all of this and they got together. They, these are the wise people, these are the smart people, these are the people that everybody sends uh, you know, feelers to, to find out, you know, if you wanna if you wanna answer some questions, you you send it to one of our places and we've got people who are wise, we've got people who will study this out and tell you what the answers are. Uh, where's the where's your wisdom now? Verse nine and ten. If the, if great gatherers came to you, wouldn't they leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, wouldn't they destroy only enough for themselves? But I've stripped Esau bare. I've uncovered his hiding places. He's not able to conceal himself. This is in that area of what is now southern Jordan. This is there's a lot of in the crags of the of the mountains there. You know that area. There, this is Steven Spielberg. Filmed part of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in the ruin of the Nabataean city of Petra, that was carved literally into the into the mountain, into the rock. I mean that there are all these ravines and there are places for the Edomites to hide. So you're not going to find any places to hide when the Lord comes after you. Thus says the Lord. If those who didn't deserve to drink the cup must drink it, must you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink it. For I've sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, a curse, and all of her cities a perpetual waste. you welcome. Concerning Damascus. Damascus thought that it was secure because it was famous. Famous, one of the most ancient cities in the world. It's not going to save them. Kidar and Hatzor, These are nomadic kingdoms. They don't have any capital cities. They don't have any fortresses that can be destroyed. And that, they believe, is their security. They think that their security is that they're always on the move. You can't pin them down. You can't get them. It says, when the destruction comes, you are going to be cornered and you will not get away
0: the connection between Damascus
1: we're moving on to the next one there is not a connection those are two those are separate the word to Damascus is short which is kind of ironic considering that Damascus is such an ancient city has such a great history and God says you're gone you're gone Elam Judgment on Elam. Elam is way over on the other side of Babylon. It's in present day southern Iran. Elam's way over there. So the Elamites, you're going down. I will break the bow of Elam. The Elamite, the strength of the Elamite army was the archer, was the bow. So your bow, your, your army filled with archers, it's not going to save you. You're going down. Verse 39, but in the latter days I will restore the fortunes of Eli, declares the Lord. Judgment on Babylon. A lot of words on the judgment of Babylon. A lot of word, two chapters of judgment on Babylon. And Babylon's gods, Merodach, Bel, the gods. Now look at verse 3. For out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land of desolation, and none shall dwell in it. Both man and beast shall flee away. Well, the Persians nominally are east, but guess where their attack came from? The north. The Medes and the Persians, when they attack, they attack from the north. And this is ironic. <laughs> because, you know, Babylon, they always attack their enemies over in... Uh, in Canaan they attacked from the north and you know the destruction is always coming from the north guess what the destruction is going to come on you from the north you welcome here's a now look at verse uh, 29 summon archers against Babylon, all those who bend the bow and camp around her, let no one escape. Repay her according to her deeds, uh, do to her according to all that she has done. For she proudly defied the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. That is an unusual phrase. That's the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah used that frequently. But that's not typical of Jeremiah. But here Jeremiah says, the Holy One of Israel therefore her young men shall fall in her squares and all her soldiers shall be destroyed on that day. Behold I am against you O proud one declares the Lord God of hosts for your day has come the time when I will punish you. Look at verse chapter 51 oh look at verse 6 before we move to that verse 38 he has a Uh, A litany, a sword against the Chaldeans, a sword against the diviners, a sword against the warriors, a sword against her horses, a sword against her treasures, a drought against her waters. For it is a land, verse 38, it is a land of images. They're mad over idols. Now, if God is going to punish his own people for their idolatry, how much more is he going to punish the land which is mad for idols? Even though this is the land, even though this is the people that he used to punish his own. Now there are some commentators who say, I, Jeremiah couldn't have written this. Jeremiah couldn't have written this because if, if Jeremiah has written a lot of prophecies that said that Babylon is the instrument and tool of God. Well, guess what? So did Isaiah. And you know, the two things are not contradictory. God can use a nation to be His tool, His instrument for punishment, and yet bring punishment on that same people. Because God holds each one accountable for their own sin. And Babylon did not come in as a righteous nation. Look at the the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, God... How can you let all this sin go on? Don't worry, I'm bringing in the Babylonians and they're going to clean the place out. The Babylonians, God, they're worse than we are. Calm down, Habakkuk. I've got this under control. You're going to have to trust me on this. Now look at chapter 51, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will stir up the spirit of a destroyer. Against Babylon. You know, he's been, he's used this word, and he's talked about the destroyer coming against, the destroyer, the destroyer. And now he uses this particular phrase, the spirit of the destroyer. This is one of those things that suggests to me there is some, there is a spiritual war that is going on behind the war on earth. There is a war in the heavens that is taking place that is behind the wars on earth. But over it all, God is sovereign. We see chaos breaking out all over the place. What we need to remember in our age, in our day, in which chaos seems to be breaking out all around. God is still God. And the nations of the world are as the fine dust on the balance, as Isaiah put it. They are nothing in terms of determining the course Of the world's history. Look at verse 5. For Israel and Judah have not been forsaken. By the Lord. By their God the Lord of hosts. But the land of Chaldeans is full of guilt. Against the Holy One of Israel. Verse 6. This is the time of the Lord's vengeance. For repayment he is rendering to her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand. Making all the earth drunken. All the nations drank of her wine. Therefore the nations went mad. Suddenly, Babylon has fallen and been broken, Wail for her. This same refrain is taken up in the book of Revelation, but given kind of a more end times slant. Verse 10, the Lord has brought about our vindication. Come, let's declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Chapter 51, verse 49. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of all the earth. Look down at the bottom of verse 56. For the Lord is a God of recompense. What's recompense? It's payback. The Lord is a God of payback. This is why we are instructed in our lives as believers and those who trust and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are not to take vengeance upon those who do us harm. It is not because they don't deserve payback but because we are not authorized to give it. Our God is a God of payback. What follows then is a little epilogue, chapter 52, tells some stories that we read and we read about. some of this is in Second Kings. Some of it we've read about in Jeremiah. There's a little bit more. There's more talking about the destruction of the temple. There's talking about how Nebuchadnezzar not only put the king's sons to death, but he also put the priests to death. The priests who were misleading and proving to be false leaders to the people. And so Judah was taken into exile out of its land. And it ends in that strange little postscript that we have also in Second Kings. The son of Nebuchadnezzar, after Nebuchadnezzar's death, son of Nebuchadnezzar went to Jehoiachin, who had been one of the longest imprisoned kings of the conquest of Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll show you what a good guy I am. I'm going to give you your own apartment and you can eat with me. Now, what's the point? Jehoiachin did not repent of anything. But it's just kind of a little note that says, God, who is God? And it looked like the entire line of David has been wiped out. But here's a descendant of David. And for no other reason but that somebody decided... Uh, we've been mean enough to him. We're going to let him out. Won't let him go home. We're going to let him out. We'll be nice to him. Maybe there's hope for the line of David.
0: You've been listening to the ninth of ten episodes covering the prophetic life and writings of Jeremiah. In our final episode, we'll examine a book by an anonymous poet that is commonly and probably correctly attributed to Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations. This is Insight with Gary Nation. Thanks for listening.